Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another edition of the Stampede. My name is Ryan Jones, along with my good friend Ashton Yanez, here for another exciting episode. We have a lot to cover today. Uh, the AFC NFC Championship games. We're going to react to them. Matthew Stafford is officially going to be traded from the the Detroit Lions. Something I've been calling for all season. If you've listened to the podcast in the past, uh, and we're going to give our early Super Bowl preview and talk a little bit about the game as well as we're going to talk about Kobe Bryant one year later, his death uh, by the time you'll be hearing this uh, for the podcast was yesterday, Tuesday. You're going to be hearing this on Wednesday. We do record Tuesday night. So, you know, but before we get into all of that, uh, I want to go over a few housekeeping issues and whatnot. For one, our last two podcasts that we had um, did not get posted to Spotify or iTunes. And that is somewhat on me. That's somewhat on the pod, the podcast hosting site that I use. Uh, for some reason, the site was not loading correctly when I was trying to upload both of these podcasts for like the last week. So you're just not, you know, if you're listening to this on Spotify or iTunes, you're just not going to be able to hear um, our, I believe it was our divisional reaction and our conference championship predictions. So if you're hearing this on Spotify or iTunes, go over to YouTube. You can hear our predictions. Uh, we're also going to be talking about our predictions now. Obviously, what we thought was going to happen. Um, I believe both of us went one and one because we both picked the Chiefs and we both picked the Packers. Um, I kind of somewhat picked the Bucks, but that was two weeks ago. So, you know, we'll talk about that later once we cover the NFC. Um, another thing. Down below in the descriptions are our social medias, Ashton and Mines, and I'd like you guys to go ahead, go there if you're hearing this, give us a follow, give us a, you know, a friend request, whatever, and we'll follow back. I promise we always do, um, and I like interacting with people that listen to the podcast. Let's have a conversation about football and whatnot. Uh, one other thing, if you could, whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube, please do yourselves a favor and do us a favor, like the video, give us a five-star review, comment, subscribe, whatever the platform that you're listening on allows you to do, do us a favor and help us out as much as possible. It helps us potentially maybe do this one day full-time for a job. Now that all that's out of the way, Ashton, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Um, it's a good Tuesday. Things aren't as busy as they, as they were last week for me with school and some of my other work stuff. So uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling really good. Um, I'm kind of bummed that the Packers didn't beat the Buccaneers, but we'll go more into that later on. Yeah, and it's I think it's like the exact opposite for me. I think this I I'm super busy with school this week, but we're all gonna make time every single week for this podcast because this is what we're, we're committed. Uh, yep, this is what we love to do. So first off, I talked to you before the show. You wanted to cover the AFC Championship game. Let's talk about it. The Chiefs beat the Bills 38-24. to Let's talk about it. Well, it was, uh, it was pretty much a good game. It wasn't as close as I thought it'd be. I think I said it was going to be like a four- to seven-point game, somewhere in that, in that range. But um, Kansas City is just darn near unstoppable to defend. I mean, back-to-back -back games of 100-yard receiving for both Travis Kelsey and and Tyreek Hill, first time for the Kansas City Chiefs for that to happen in like 50 years during the postseason. 
they just have an unstoppable offense and, and everything's really working out. Um, even though the run game isn't as, as big as it is in Kansas City, they still have fun ways to beat you in, in different ways in the passing game. And the Patrick Mahomes just a, by himself is already just a force to be reckoned with. He has one of the best arms in the game. He is one of the most talented. He's one of the most talented quarterbacks that we've seen in quite some time. Um, they're just really taking care of business. And then Andy Reid just being one of the best head coaches in the NFL. Um, this is a guy who's been coaching football games for a long, long time. So for him to have all these weapons to work with, it allows him to be more creative than other NFL coaches, um, especially deep into the postseason. Um, Bills-wise, I, I thought they did play a good game. I thought Josh did make some mistakes. Um, he definitely likes to try and extend the plays when he knows there's no way that he can. You know, there were, there were times when that corner from Kansas City was in his face and he still thought he could run away from him. You know, Josh, he's fast, but he's not, you know, 4-2, 4-3 fast like these corners are in the NFL. So, I mean, pretty much what I expected. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit sad that the Bills lost, but I'm also happy for the Chiefs. I think they're a really good football team. And I think we'll see these teams play each other in, in another AFC championship game pretty soon. Yeah, I, ex- I fully expect the Bills to be right back here. Um, you know, you mentioned it. I don't think Allen played well enough to win this game. They have some turnovers. Um, and the, the Bills overall just were not able to run the football whatsoever. You know, on the ground, they did outgain the Chiefs. But that's only because Allen himself rushed for 88 yards on seven carries. They used him a lot as a runner um, in a lot of just out-of-script plays where Josh had to scramble, right? Um but other than that, their leading rusher was uh, Devin Singletary, six carries, 17 yards. Um, I think that's a big reason why why Mel Kuyper's mock draft had them taking Najee Harris today. Um, and the Bills, you know, they they they're in a tough spot here because they're also their left tackle is also, you know, no, not their left tackle, the right tackle is uh, free agent, so they're going to have to re-sign him. I don't know if they have the cap for that. Um, I, I just don't know the Bills' cap situation, so. Um, Stefan Diggs rather quiet, six catches, 77 yards. Um, you know, that's a, that's a good day for an average receiver, but not for Stefan Diggs, right? You expect him to do more. Um, just all around the chiefs. I just think they, they pretty much just dominated, uh, the bills, you know, they had more first downs, they had more passing yards, they had more running yards. If you don't account for Allen's 88 yards, you count just for the other players that ran the football uh, yards per play. The chiefs were in higher. Uh, the chiefs had more first downs. The chiefs converted more on third down. Uh, both teams actually were hundred percent on their fourth down conversions, which is something I want to talk about. Uh, the chiefs one for one, the bills were two for two and the chiefs just dominated the time of possession as well. I think the main thing is, you know, something that we both noticed and it's something that's been talked about by all the major sports analysts out there. Doug McDermott settling for field goals uh, in these key situations instead of going for it in the red zone multiple times. Look, you can look back on it in hindsight um, and say, you know, he should have gone for it. Yeah, he should have, right? But in the moment, he says he wants to take the points. I I understand. The analytics, I would imagine, probably say to go for it, and I I, I would imagine I am more of an analytics guy than you are, but – Look, you can't really – I don't think you can really fault Doug McDermott for just kicking the field goals. I mean, look, I understand why you get on him or whatever, but 
you're playing the Chiefs, and I think in those moments you kind of have to realize you're going to have to score like 40 points to beat them, right? Um, I, I think the overall common theme that we've just saw over the weekend uh, with this Chiefs and Bills game and as well as the NFC Championship, the more aggressive coach on both sides won their games. Andy Reid, obviously known for being an aggressive coach. Bruce Arians, one of the most aggressive coaches we've ever seen in football, right? So, look, I, I hope that this is something that other coaches in the league see. And, you know, it's crazy to me that some coaches are still stuck in the 70s and 80s where they think they could just ground out, run the football. Look at the two teams in the championship. Neither of them have a notable running back, really. Uh, neither of them run the ball, the ball particularly well. And they're the two best teams in football, right? The Bucs and the Chiefs. So I think, look, and running the football obviously matters and whatnot. Uh, I'm not going to, obvi- we, we both know that. And everyone knows that. Running the football matters. You just have to be aggressive in these situations and you can't not go for it, right? So. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with there. And then you talked about being aggressive. Not only was Kansas City being aggressive on the offensive end, but they were really aggressive on the defensive end. I mean, they were playing some of the best co- man coverage that I've seen, you know, this season. I mean, for them to find ways to take away uh, Stephon Diggs, to take away Cole Beasley at the same time, that is, you know, hard to do. Not as hard as stopping Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, obviously, but still hard to do. Both are really good wide receivers. So to be playing consistent man coverage like that without, you know, getting holding calls and stuff like that, I mean, that's that's an aggressive play call there by Andy Reid by the defensive coordinator of Kansas City Chiefs, who is a very you know experienced defensive coordinator and someone who's going to have to do similar stuff again when he faces Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. I, I think going, you know, something else I kind of wanted to talk about uh, when it comes to the Chiefs and Mahomes was that I think it's just kind of crazy how Mahomes is just kind of continuing to get better. Like last year, I thought this dude was – like I think we both agree, and I think most of America agrees, it's the best quarterback in the NFL right now, right? Um, but there was one knock that I personally had on his game. I thought that a lot of the times he floated too far back in the pocket and put his offensive line in bad situations. And I think that you, if you look at the tape, you see a lot of the times Mahomes gets sacked, it's because he's running around there trying to do too much and he keeps backing up, right? Um, avoiding the rush. And in this game, I noticed something. Mahomes didn't do that, and he just continued to step up in the pocket like you're supposed to, manipulating the pressure and delivering it. I mean, he had 300 yards, three touchdowns. He played absolutely phenomenal. And he, he's almost, at this point, like a flawless quarterback. And if he could just l- limit the um, the bad throws that he has, you know, every 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 game he has, like, one bad throw that should be or is an interception just because he kind of has that gunslinger slung, uh, gunslinger mentality. And, but I, I just, he, it's just crazy to me how much better he's continuing to get. Yeah. And, and not only from a talent standpoint and from, you know, stepping up in the pocket, but also just understand the game of football better. This was a guy who said, you know, entering the league, that he was still, learning a lot a lot about some of the coverages that you know Andy Reid was showing him about you know inside playbooks and stuff so and a lot of things that we think that most quarterbacks already know you know coming out of like the Big 12 the SEC Pac-12 ACC and the Big 10 
Mahomes like, no, I was still learning these on the fly with Andy Reid because Andy Reid was so, you know, so articulate that he makes it to where quarterbacks don't really have to do that much reading. It's just about recognizing their plays and what routes work against, you know, certain corners or whatnot. But he's definitely gotten better, not only physically, but mentally. And I think that's what's scary considering how young he is and how much he's already done in his career. Yeah, and, and you know, I agree with everything you just said. Um, you know, I kind of want to talk about where the Bills should go from here. Obviously, Kuiper has them selecting running back. I don't know if that's the number one need. Uh, I think if you're the Bills, you kind of just got to, you know, make sure that offensive line stays intact. And, um, you know, I don't know what their receiving situation is, but maybe get another weapon if they if they can upgrade from uh, John Brown, Cole Beasley. Um, I think they have one more receiver that's pretty good. I don't I don't remember his name at this point, but, um, you know, I just think you need to continue to do all you can to surround Josh Allen with as much talent as possible. Um, it's a very deep receiver class, so I think that's something they could address in the draft. So they don't have to big, spend big money in free agency. I think re-signing a right, right tackle uh, should be your priority. And whatever you can do defensively to upgrade, um, maybe add another corner, uh, whatever, whatever their team needs are, I think that it'll be very easy for a team that has so many young players, uh, and especially when they're not paying Allen anything yet, um, I, they could, I mean, on, they could wait, like, I want two more years to sign him to a big extension. I would imagine they're, they're going to try to get that done sooner rather than later, um, it's going to be very easy for them, you know, same with the Chiefs, to continue to upgrade, continue to put together a roster that will be able to compete with the Chiefs. So, Yeah, I, I think the Bills, they're only going to get better. I think they're going to learn a lot from, you know, this season and the postseason. And, you know, sometimes we get this is a team that could have easily had a 12-0 streak before entering the playoffs. You know, other than that DeAndre Hopkins catch, they were – you know, darn near perfect for a for a long period of time. They were arguably the hottest team in the NFL. And I think the fact that they have, you know, really simple adjustments to make, you know, like, you know, getting better at the run game and maybe even bringing pressure faster, you know, at opposing quarterbacks, I really think if they can just take care of those two things, this is the team that's really going to be rivaling with the Kansas City Chiefs and the AFC. This is going to be that one team that's going to be the challenger. And, you know, maybe one of these days we'll see in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has a Brady-Montana – no, not Brady-Montana, Brady-Manning feel to it. You know, Colts-Patriots, that's what kind of what the rivalry was uh, for the longest time when Brady was in the AFC and Peyton was still playing, you know. Um, I think that kind of wraps up the discussion for the AFC Championship, unless you have anything else you want to add. No, that's, that's about it. I'm, I'm ready to talk about the NFC. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move on now to the NFC Championship game. Uh, the Buccaneers beat the Packers 31-26, to 26, something I predicted two weeks ago, but completely backed off of last week just because I thought the Packers looked so good against the Rams. And clearly, um, there's a lot to unpack in this game. Um, I think the main thing that we should discuss is whether or not uh, Coach LaFleur for the Green Bay Packers, the head coach, uh, messed up not going for it late in the fourth quarter uh, when it was, I believe it was like fourth and three, or maybe it was a fourth and goal. I'm not sure. Um, instead, they kick the field goal late, and they don't get the ball back because of a pass interference call. That, um, I mean, l- l- okay. So we could talk. We'll talk about Lafleur uh, kicking the field goal, and then we'll talk about the all the non calls, and then the call. Um, I'm curious to hear 
after kind of sitting in the moment, I know that we were both very frustrated and upset with it. I am curious to see if after, uh, you know, some time to reflect on that, if your opinions changed or not. Um, so what, what do you think about Lafleur's decision to kick the field goal instead of going for it with Aaron Rodgers? I do think that they should have went for it, in my opinion. I mean, as much as they did have a good chance of getting one more stop, you know, after that drive, um, Tom Brady in moments that matter almost go Tom Brady's way, no matter what. And we've seen it again and again. And very recently this past weekend that sometimes Tom Brady will even get the edge off of technicality. So I really think they should have went for it on fourth down with Aaron Rodgers. I really think they should have put the pressure on Tom Brady rather than just have it to where he only needed to get 10 yards rather than get, you know, the 60 or 70 yards they would need to go downfield and score again. So I, I, I really think they should have went for it, especially when you have Aaron Rodgers, especially when you have Devontae Adams, especially when you had, you know, Williams who who's actually playing well after Aaron Jones got hurt. So I, I think they had ways to score on that fourth down, and they even had a way to score on that third down, have Aaron Rodgers just look right rather than kept cross, you know, throwing across his body. So there was a lot of small things that could have easily changed the outcome of this game. Um, it's definitely not a surprise to those who have been cheering against them in the AFC that it, games like this come down to the wire with Tom Brady. But, yeah, I, I, my opinion overall, I think Green Bay should have went for it on fourth down and just really put it on uh, Bruce Arians' heels to call the right plays on the final drive rather than say, well, we got Tom Brady and we'll just let him call the go-to play to get 10 yards. You know, um, I, I do agree. I, uh, in the moment for a second when I was watching it, I, under, I understood kicking the field goal, but now uh, looking back on it, let's say that they don't get the touchdown or the first down, whichever it was in that situation. And you would be down 31 to 23, right? You're down eight. It's still a one score game. And you just don't, you don't convert, right? Um, then you then are pinning Tom Brady and that Buccaneers offense inside the 10 yard line with a pretty good chance to play the field position game, right? Uh, for those who don't know, when I say the field position game, I just mean if the Packers were to stop the Buccaneers, um, which is more than likely going to happen, because if if you're pinned inside the 10-yard line right there, I don't envision uh, with a non-mobile quarterback the Buccaneers really throwing the football. I think they would have run three straight plays and then punted the football away, maybe run two and then had Brady throw it on you know, third down, whatever it was, right? I think you have a better chop at st- uh, chance at stopping them inside the 10 than you do inside – the 30 or whatever right then you can force a punt if the bad pass interference call that we talked about that i mentioned previously doesn't get called you punt and then green bay has the ball on what the 50 if it's you know goes their way so i think that in that situation you just you really should just play the field position battle go forward on fourth down and then you know go for two look you kick the field goal, you're down a score anyways. So what's the difference? I don't I just – now let's talk about the non-call. Okay. So people, and myself included, 
we weren't upset that um we weren't upset at the call because it was the correct call but the timing it's the fact that you let them play the entire game with multiple holding calls that are just ignored hell Aaron Rodgers only interception of the game came on a pass interference call that's clearly blamed pass interference or defensive holding or what whichever one you want to call it to me it's almost the same freaking thing like if I just don't I don't I don't like the timing of it and maybe you know and this really is going to get to the conspiracy theorist out there Oh, it's rigged for Tom Brady, you know? Yeah, well, it doesn't help that the refs didn't spend 20 seconds discussing before they even threw that flag. Yeah. And I don't – look, I, I disagree with the call. Um, look, the Packers were down anyways by five at that point. They were down by what the final score ended up being, 31-26. to 26. There is no guarantee that if they don't get that and the Bucks punt it away, there's no guarantee that the Packers score and win the game, right? True. Um, and in my opinion, look, I've said I've coached football in the past, and I've been on the opposite end of some crappy calls. I know we all have, right? I always tell the team, and I this is a philosophy I do live by, uh, at least in football. If you played, if you didn't play well enough to win without the bad call, then you didn't play well enough. Period. If that one call decides the game. That's more an indictment on the team. Right. And I kind of wanted to, you know, this is where I'm going to segue into Aaron Rodgers throwing or, you know, only throwing three inter- three touchdowns, right? I know he had a good stat line. I just feel like he could have done more for this reason. If t- Tom Brady, if you were to tell me that the Buccaneers would have won and Brady would have thrown three interceptions, I would have been like, you're crazy. If Aaron Rodgers has to chance to capitalize off of three turnovers, then there's no way in hell the Packers are going to lose this game. And they didn't capitalize. They kicked field goals. They just didn't score. And Brady, I mean, the first half, Brady played great. The second half, he was not good at all. He th- no touchdowns, three interceptions. And, you know, people want to act like, oh, Brady did this for the Bucks. He definitely helped. And he's definitely, like, there are things that you can't really measure on the field, like leadership, the intangibles and whatnot. But I, I, Brady's not the only reason they won this game. I mean, the Buccaneers' defense played great. To hold the Packers to 26 points when your quarterback is basically handing uh, Aaron Rodgers free points, like, uh, so just a lot a lot to unpack from what I said, but I, I want to know your thoughts. It, it, it was a, it was a good game. I will say that um, I definitely undermined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, seeing them being that fifth seed entering the playoffs, you know, just pulling off their win against the Washington football team near the second half. I was like, you know, like I can see them being a good team, but I didn't see them being a great team, but all these guys who we know are veterans, you know, who all were in the pro bowls, you know, sometime between 2011 and 2015, they really stepped up for Tom Brady and they really stepped up for each other. This is a team that says, we're not, we're not done. We're, we're here to win still. You know, we think we have the best quarterback. Now we think Bruce Arians is a veteran is a veteran coach who can call the right plays. And if not, we have Tom Brady who can, cause he's been in the league just as long as he has, if not longer. 
Um, you know, we have Chris Godwin, we have Mike Evans, both guys who have been to the Pro Bowl at least once, I believe. I know Mike Evans has. I don't know if Chris Godwin has or not, but I know both these guys are pretty pretty much playing as, you know, top receivers in the NFL. So to have both those guys there for Tom Brady, on top of that, you have Rob Gronkowski, who's been Tom Brady's go-to since, what, 2011, 2011, 2012? I don't know, something like that. You know, he's been his go-to tight end for so many years, and he's not even the best tight end on their team. So this was a team that was really talented. Uh, we, we thought Father Time was not only going to get Tom Brady this year, but also some of his teammates, as we said, were, you know, they were a bigger deal in the 2012 to 2015 range. But all these guys really stepped up this year, and I, I have to give props where props is due. All these guys can't play. Pierre Paul, he can play. Uh, Tom Brady, he can play. Gronkowski, he can play. All these guys that were, you know, tinkering with retirement, came back from retirement, should be retiring, they can still play. Um, on the Green Bay side of things, um, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a lot of help. He's done so much with just Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, which people don't realize in the NFL, as, as great as it is to have one good wide receiver and a, a, and a good running back, it's almost not enough anymore in the NFL. You know, Patrick Mahomes, you know, we talk about how great he is as a quarterback, but he has Travis Kelsey, who you can arguably say is the best tight end in the league. He has Tyreek Hill, who you can arguably say is a top five wide receiver now in the NFL. You know, he's got that going on. Josh Allen has Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley, one of the best number two wide receivers in the NFL. Like he's a solid, you know, check down receiver, solid, you know, finding the holes in any zone coverage type of receiver. So he really compliments Stefan Diggs and makes life easier for Josh Allen. You know, then you got Russell Wilson, who has Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. You know, if one doesn't do good, guess what? He can throw 200 yards to the other guy, you know. So it's it's kind of a luxury to actually have multiple weapons. And really, it, it's for if you're a fan of the Green Bay Packers, you must be frustrated because you know Aaron Rodgers could easily be one of those quarterbacks that has the same amount of weapons. He easily could have been because Green Bay had a solid, you know, first round pick last year that they used on a quarterback out of Utah State. You know, no disrespect to Jordan Love at all, but he's not going to help Green Bay win games now. You know, and Green Bay, they're a team that's made it to back to back NFC championship games. They're ready to win now. They're not waiting on another Aaron Rodgers 2.0 to be, you know, to help them win in 2030, they're ready to win now in 2021 and 2022. So I, I think for them, it's a little frustrating to know that they're, you know, as knowing that they have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, they don't have one of the best offensive units in the NFL. And that's, I think, what's hurting them. I think defensively, they got a little bit better. I think there's only so much you can do against a really talented Tom Brady-led offense that has a lot of these, you know, star players, as we said, for Tampa Bay. But I think Green Bay knowing that they were this close to coming back and winning against the Buccaneers, knowing that they could have gotten their first NFC championship game in Lambeau field for Aaron Rodgers, I, th I think we're going to see them be a lot more aggressive this off season to get him the right players. Yeah, they should be aggressive. I mean, uh, I feel like that's a very common theme. Like I said, when we were talking about the AFC championship, the more aggressive co coach won. Um, I don't think that Brady's the more aggressive quarterback, but um the more aggressive coach won. I mean, and some, I, Hey, sometimes aggression isn't, isn't what you need uh, running cover one man uh, with eight seconds left, knowing Brady's going to throw it deep. Isn't exactly um, 
ain't exactly what you want to be doing as far as aggression. Definitely not ideal. No, yeah, not when not, not when Rob Gronkowski and Mike Evans are lined up somewhere at the same time. That that play when uh, with eight seconds left in the half, where Brady threw it to Scotty Miller for a touchdown, just uh, that 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 too is just it's so it's such a backbreaking play. I mean, especially like like if you if you literally just sit and cover two man, all problems are avoided right there. And then they have to call, call a quick timeout and kick a field goal. And then maybe the whole course of the game has changed. But uh, the pa- Packers defensive coordinator, uh, Mike Pettin, definitely not a great game for him. And uh, not a great game for uh, the cornerback, uh, Kevin King, I believe his name is. He's just constantly getting I, – I, I don't expect him to be uh, on their roster next year. And if he is, I don't expect him to be playing. So, man, it, it just – it was – all in all, Rodgers did all he could, and it's got to be frustrating when your defensive coordinator screws up, your head coach kicks a field goal, and you don't get to go for it on fourth down, you know. I just and, – and, pl- and you don't have a number two receiver. When we were watching the game, um, I pointed out something. I don't know if you caught me um, – I said one of these uh, uh, other number two receivers is going to screw up. They always do. There's always a key drop. And sure enough, on a two-point conversion that Green Bay went for, that could have changed the whole course of the game. It p- dropped, right? Um, and that is the problem with the Marquez Valdez-Scantling, um, the Alan Lazards of the world. They they just they, – they always seem to mess up in – a big moment and they always have a key drop here and there. And I really, really hope that the Packers make a run in free agency at a receiver or they go up and draft one uh, in the first round of the draft. And it doesn't even have to be in the first round of the draft. It could be in the second or third round. This is such a deep receiver class where you can get a really good receiver in the later rounds. It's, it's just, it's, it's just frustrating to see um, as a fan of Aaron Rodgers. I am, I'm a fan of Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, I'm getting so tired of Brady just constantly <laughs> winning, right? Um, it's going to be interesting to see Brady versus Mahomes, which I guess is what we could transition to right now if you want. Yeah, let's go ahead and, and you know, have a little bit of insight on this Super Bowl matchup. Um, I, I mean, it's easy to say, and this is going to sound cliche, but these are the two best football teams in the NFL. These are the two even hottest teams in the NFL. You know, we, we sometimes undermined Kansas City because of how crazily Buffalo Bills were winning their last, you know, 11 games before, you know, until they lost Kansas City. But, but Kansas City is really just darn near impossible on offense. And then on the other side, you have Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, and then a bunch of other wide receivers that are actually, like, key weapons in this game. Mike Evans again, Chris Godwin again, um, Zach Miller, as you just brought up or not, is it Zach Miller? Or? Scotty Miller. Scotty Miller. I keep thinking of Zach for some reason. And yeah, and Scotty Miller, he really plays kind of like Cole Beasley, but just a lot faster. Like he can really do, yeah, he's you know, out, <laughs> yeah. Like he's a scary threat. Like if Cole Beasley could just run, you know, a half second, 40 faster, that's Scotty Miller basically. So the fact that, Tom Brady even has that in his pocket. It's just, it's interesting, interesting to see which of these offenses is going to be stopped more if it gets stopped at all. 
or who's going to just have the ball last in the fourth quarter? Because I really think this is going to be one of those games that could easily be 45-38 or 42-35, to something like that. Like, this is, this is going to be an entertaining football game. And I think for those who are involved in doing squares, almost any square at this point has a chance of winning you money. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know if you mentioned it, but this is the first home Super Bowl for a team. That uh, is true. Tom Brady. First ever. Yeah, Tom Brady going to be playing in Tampa, Florida. And I really think this is a matchup between a guy who is considered the greatest of all time by pretty much everybody. If he's not your GOAT, then I really don't know what to tell you. And if um, he wins, he will be. Yeah, if he is, I, I, don't, I really just don't see how you can make an argument. Brady isn't the GOAT. People try to because, you know, that's what our this industry is all about, making clicks and clickbait and whatnot, versus a guy who could – I mean, if he keeps this up, he may overtake Brady someday as the GOAT, you know? You never know. It's Mah- possible. Mahomes can. He definitely has a chance. He's doing a lot already, you know, for – he's already, he's already had a lot of success at a young yeah. age. Can he, can he do it up to out his entire contract, which is, I believe, another 10 years? I don't know. I can't say. Only, you know, father yeah. time will tell. But the fact that Tom Brady has been dominating this long, he's been playing this well, and knowing that he was the one that came out on top separate went after being separated from the Patriots, knowing that, hey, guess what? My first year leaving the Patriots, I didn't – I was no longer just part of a team that barely made the wild card anymore. We went to the NFC and dominated the NFC like it was nothing. You know, we, we got through there, you know, other than the Green Bay Packers, they basically got through there knowing that they were the better team. So, yeah. just ridiculous. And to put things into perspective, he's now won just as many NFC Championship games as Aaron Rodgers, as Drew Brees. And oh, yeah. he's now, yeah. No, and he's more and Mahomes. <laughs> Mahomes already has been to one more conference championships than I think Breeze and Rogers, right? Two. Yeah. Two. They both yeah. only been to been in one one Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is already the youngest so, player to go into three consecutive eight conference championship games. Yeah. So these are two these are already two historically successful quarterbacks. Just one has been doing has been successful already for the last 20 years and the other one has just been successful since he entered the NFL. And it's going to be interesting to see which one really comes out better. Um, we'll probably go more into depth about our predictions next week. But again, just there's just so many things to, to watch for in this game. I mean, yeah, um, there's just a lot. It's a lot to take in. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do think that the Chiefs are probably and should be the early favorites here. Uh, I know that they did lose their starting left tackle, Eric Fisher. Uh, for the rest of the season, which really hurts them, especially against this Buccaneers pass rush featuring uh, Shaquille Barrett. Uh, you know, there's a reason they franchise tagged him. They want to make sure he could do have the same success as he did last season. And shocker, he has. Uh, uh, they, I think that franchise for him was like $19 million. So he definitely got paid. Uh, yeah. And the Chiefs offensive line just full of uh, seventh round picks and undrafted players and, I don't know if it's more of a testament to, you know, the develop the the coaching staff and being able to develop these, or the scouting department being able to find this offensive line and you know these hidden gems in the late rounds and after the draft. Um, the thing is, Eric Fisher was a first round pick, and um, 
losing him and now having to start a whole entire offensive line full of seventh rounders and undrafted players. I, I think that, I mean, heck, it, it may be a perfect storm, man. Uh, this Buccaneers team has a really good pass rush and they have a really good defensive minded head coach or not head coach, defensive head coach, or not even def- defensive coordinator, excuse me. They have a good defensive coordinator in Todd Bowles who loves to blitz. So there could be problems for the Chiefs, man. Brady could pull this off. Yeah, there's a lot of things that could happen in the Super Bowl. And I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, having my popcorn ready and watching everything unfold from the national anthem all the way to the post-game speech and the confetti because it's definitely going to be a show. And either way, we're going to see history being made again in some way, shape, or form. You know, and, and we already know that history has been made by making this again the first time an NFL team will host the Super Bowl. So, I mean, there's just there's just a lot that's going to unfold in the history books, especially in, in the history of the NFL with the Super Bowl coming up in February 7th. All right, and we'll leave it at that because – I'm sure the Super Bowl is the only thing that we're going to have to discuss over the ne- over the next two weeks. So we're going to save more of the discussion for then. Um, what I'd like to do now is move on to Matthew Stafford, a person, a quarterback that I have been praying would get traded from the franchise that is the Detroit Lions. And I'm very, very happy to report that the Lions and Matthew Stafford have agreed to mutually part ways via a trade. So there's about 10 teams I have written down that I think could potentially trade for him. Some of them I think are a little far-fetched and probably won't happen, um, but you never know. A person, You can dream, right? Um, so I'll go down the list and we'll talk about each team and why they could trade for Stafford and potential packages um, that they could end up trading for Stafford. Um, first off, there are some things I want to say. I believe Matthew Stafford is worth at least two first round picks. He's a franchise quarterback. He is only 32 years old. Um, some reports are saying that he won't even go for that. He'll only go for a second round pick. Sam Bradford was traded for a first round pick. Um, Josh Rosen was traded for a second round pick. Look, and Ryan Tannehill of all quarterbacks was traded for a fourth round pick. Matthew Stafford is a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. He's better than Sam Bradford. He's better than Josh Rosen. He will go for at least two first-round picks or at least one first-round pick and a player or a first, a player, and a second. There's a lot of different trade combinations you could go for, but the point is he will go for at least first one first-round picks. If I was a GM, I'd be willing to give up two. So. Um, yeah, I- I think he's worth at least a first round pick myself. And, you know, going down this list, I, I, I really think that he could really be a game changer for any of these teams that do acquire him because he is a good quarterback. He's still, in my opinion, you know, one of the better veteran quarterbacks in the national football league. He, he can really, and he's also, you know, a solid leader. So he's going to really just make the whole offensive unit better, no matter what system he's in. All right, so I'm going to start out with the betting favorite, which is my favorite team, the Denver Broncos. Uh, I would absolutely, you know, I would love for this to happen. I have been a big Stafford to Denver guy um, because I'm not a big Drew Locke guy. Um, And it is the betting favorite currently, uh, as of Vegas odds, I believe. Um, So, you know, obviously Vegas thinks there's a good chance it happens. Obviously, 
no one knows for sure, but I think at, I'd be willing to trade the number nine overall pick in the draft, Andrew Locke, for him. I'd even be willing to give him next year's first rounds or second round pick. Um, look, if Matthew Stafford gets traded here, Drew Locke is not going to be on the roster. So he's going to end up on another team. And if the Lions don't want to take it, you know, they do, they would have the seventh pick. Um, they, they have the seventh pick in this draft. And if they could end up with the ninth pick, unless Denver's, you know, given them next year's and a player and a second round pick, um, they don't even have to take it. Honestly, if you give them Drew Locke and they think Drew Locke can develop, you don't even have to take a first round quarterback with your seventh and ninth pick and you could still build up this franchise, right? Um, I don't know where you stand on Drew Locke as of this point, but um, if the, you're the Broncos, I'd be willing to trade the number nine pick. And I think he's a good fit here because of all the weapons that Denver has. They just drafted Jerry Judy. They have Cortland Sutton coming off injury. Um, and another thing I want to add about Stafford is that he's not that expensive, right? He's only making like $21 million, which isn't actually a lot for uh, the going rate of quarterback because he signed his extension so long ago. Um, he's only 32 years old. A lot of Broncos fans would rather see Drew Locke develop. I wouldn't. I think your time is to win now if you're a team. You have a good defense with your coach, Vic Fangio, um, and you have all these weapons in Denver, all these good receivers that Drew Locke has not been able to utilize. Uh, this would easily be the best receiving core that – uh, Matthew Stafford has had. I know he's had Kenny Galladay. I know he's had Megatron, but after that, that's all he's had, right? So, uh, what do you think about Stafford heading to the Broncos? Um, I, I definitely see it as the best fit. He definitely fits Denver's offense as being a veteran quarterback. That's something that, um, you know, John Elway, he likes to have in the quarterback room. He likes having that one veteran who's already been in the league who already knows some of the X's and O's. And I, I really think Matthew Stafford, he best fits best fits um, the kind of guy that John Elway wants. I think Denver's offense would just easily work out with him just fine. They have a lot of great talent on the outside, at tight end, at running back. They, they have a lot of guys that can easily make this offense click by simply upgrading at the quarterback position. And I think from Drew Locke to Matthew Stafford, that's a – big enough jump to where all of a sudden this is a team that could sneak into the playoffs that you know being that seventh or sixth seed and then finding ways to even play you know challenge the Dolphins the Colts the Titans in the world um this is a team that could easily get better with Matthew Stafford and I kind of actually like you kind of hope that he does go there because I think not only would it make Denver better I think it'd make Matthew Stafford better because he would actually have consistent weapons you know every week a lot of people te seem to disrespect Matthew Stafford and they don't have him in that conversation of being a top 10 quarterback and whatnot. I think he easily is a top 10 quarterback. I think that he, um, if he goes to another team and he has the opportunity to show it, uh, you'll definitely see other teams. Um, so I think, so after that, I don't know if, I don't think even with Stafford, Denver would be a Super Bowl contender. I think they'd be a playoff contender. And look, once you get into playoffs, right, anything can really happen. So here are some teams that I think would instantly be Super Bowl contenders if they were to acquire Stafford. Uh, if the 49ers were to acquire Stafford, I think they'd have to give up the 12th pick and Jimmy Garoppolo, probably more there. Um, and I think that he is a significant upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that he would fit all great in Kyle Shanahan's system. And if Kyle Shanahan was able to get a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, just look out. I, I would put a lot of money on the 49ers to return to the Super Bowl and win it.
Yeah, that's that's another team that would really benefit from Matthew Stafford. And I I can't disagree with you on the fact that they could be easily a Super Bowl contender. The, the one of the things, you know, when we watched last year's Super Bowl between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs, I, I saw Kansas City, City simply having the edge because I knew Garoppolo was going to throw his interceptions. Garoppolo always throws picks in nearly every game. If you have Matthew Stafford, you know, and you have him working with George Kittle, you have, you know, a growing receiving core within the Niners organization. If you have an established run game, understanding him system, um, Matthew Stafford, he will definitely not be making those same mistakes and he will be making his reads. He'll be progressing. He has a better arm, in my opinion. He's a little bit more accurate with the ball, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who's definitely better than Jimmy Garoppolo. So understanding him system, he would definitely get better as well as the 49ers would get better. Assuming the 49ers, all their players that got hurt this past year all come back healthy and no longer drink that Santa Clara water. Yeah, there's something in the water there, Santa Clara. Um, another team that I think would be an instant Super Bowl contender are the Indianapolis Colts if they were to trade for a actual franchise quarterback. Look, and no disrespect to Rivers. He's obviously retired now. Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, he's just not the guy that's going to lead these guys to the promised land. And I think Stafford's a better quarterback. Um, I think you'd have to give up the 21st pick in the draft and probably a second round pick along with probably Sam Darnold. If you're going to go that route or not Sam Darnold. No, that's the jets. I don't think the jets would trade for him. Actually, excuse me. You'd probably have to give up uh, maybe Jacoby Brissett who is um, on the Colts right now, unless he's a free agent, which I don't know particularly. I think you're going to have to give up a player. What is what I'm saying? Basically. Right. Um, I, I really hope if he does not go to my Denver Broncos, I hope the Colts are the team to pick him up because it, it, they have so much talent, a great coach. Uh, it seems like they just need to get a quarterback. And with this, they'd finally have one. Yeah, the Colts are interesting because they were actually a team that did play pretty well this season and actually contended well against the Buffalo Bills in the wild card round. Um, seeing Phillip Rivers retire, was uh, kind of crazy, but it w pretty much well expected because of how old he was and how long he's already been in the league. Um, Matthew Stafford's definitely been playing better at the quarterback position than Phillip Rivers has in recent years. Um, he, he he is a guy that can make them better, but I expect the Colts to kind of go younger with their next quarterback. I think they're going to really try and get uh, Carson Wentz uh, out of Philly if they can find uh, ways to trade for Philly to get him because I really think Carson Wentz would really fit well in Frank Wright's system, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I think even if they don't go after Carson Wentz, I think they're going to try and get someone under 30. Another team I have written down the new England Patriots. I believe you'd probably have to end up trading the 15th overall pick that they do have along with more. I think the only issue with uh, him going to the Patriots is that he'd kind of be in just a similar situation that he was in with Detroit, right? Uh, he would have no weapons. He would be – I mean, he'd have a great offensive line, as the New England always does. But, he, I mean, we saw what Cam Newton had to deal with this year. And don't get me wrong, I Stafford's a far better quarterback than Cam Newton at this point in their career. But I just don't think that this one is that possible. Plus, I just don't see Belichick trading for Matthew Stafford. Like, I just – I feel like he – he doesn't fit the Patriot way for one. And I, I think that Belichick's kind of stubborn in the fact that I think he wants to uh, draft and develop his own guy and say, look, I could do it without Tom Brady. Right. So 
the Patriots are an option that a lot of people are talking about. I just don't think it happens. So what do you think? I, I kind of don't see it happening either just because Stafford would have, again, no weapons to work with in New England. And though I think the offensive line would be better and the running backs that he would have in the backfield be a little bit better, um, I don't really see him getting a lot of passes off, even in the play-action system. And also, I, I do agree that Bill Belichick, he's going to want a quarterback that's somewhere in the cheaper route. He'd rather spend, put the time and effort into progressing a quarterback than really – than forcing Kraft to, you know, spend millions and millions of dollars on a quarterback and rather you be have that money spent on either weapons, on defensive personnel. You know, he'd rather have all the little details taken care of before he gets a flashy quarterback. So I I, I, I don't really see New England kind of taking the charge in this one. I, I don't see Bill Belichick wanting to go a veteran quarterback route anymore. All right. Uh, another team that I would think – would want to trade for him and a team that I think should trade for him. This is probably one of my favorite fits outside of my Denver Broncos. Uh, if the Washington football team decided to trade for him, great defense, really good coach, Ron Rivera. Obviously they have Alex Smith and Taylor Heineke. And I think you'd probably have to trade one of them away or maybe they're free agents. I don't know the situation. And Look, I like Taylor Heineke as much as the next guy, but he's only had one game where he was good, and I don't think you can bet on that. Plus, I think if you trade Stafford to Washington uh, for, like, the 19th pick is what the Washington football team has, they are an instant, instant contender in the NFC. It's becoming less and less clear uh, who the best team in the NFC is. Look, next year, Brady's going to be a year older. We don't know if the Packers are going to be, you know, spend money uh, on a receiver or, you know, give Aaron Rodgers what he needs. Russell Wilson's playing in Seattle with, you know, who God knows who has a coordinator and stubborn Pete Carroll. There is no guaranteed for any of the NFC teams to be back where they are. I think Washington, if they were able to, get Stafford, it could turn them into a 10-win team. And, you know, once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. Yeah, they they would definitely be more of an outright division champion had they got the quarterback position situated. But I don't know if they'll have enough to offer to Detroit for Matthew Stafford. I really think because they are significantly low in the draft, in that first-round draft, unless, you know, unless they give – you know, their first-round pick and the following first-round pick, or if they do first, second, and third the same year. You know, I, I don't see them going that aggressive to get Matthew Stafford. I think Ron Rivera would would rather take a step back, try and find, you know, a diamond in the rough in the draft itself within the quarterback position, or maybe just trade up a few spots up to get another young quarterback. I don't see Washington being this aggressive because they don't have enough capital. I think they would lose too much out of trying to get Matthew Stafford. And as much as I do think Matthew Stafford would make their team better day one, I don't think they would be good enough to compete with the rest of the NFC in the playoffs again. I still think that they don't have enough weapons all around. Um, I think their defensive line is great, especially with Chase Young out there on defense, but I, I just don't see their secondary being good enough. You know, they, they have too many holes and it's not going to be fixed by just one quarterback. Uh, the another team that I think should do all they can to get Stafford 
but I really doubt this happens because they're a division rival, uh, the Chicago Bears. They have been in quarterback hell for who knows how long, and if you can instantly get a veteran franchise quarterback, which is something that we've discussed, we, I think the two of us really believe that the Bears are just a quarterback away. They have the best defense in the NFL, arguably, right, with the Rams, the Patriots. They're always up there in terms of defense because they have Khalil Mack and the scheme that they run. I think that if, if this is possible, which I don't know if it is because they're a division rival, I, I just oh, – Stafford to the Bears is a dream scenario, I think. It would be – it would be interesting to see Stafford play for a division rival, but I don't think Detroit would even let that trade happen. Oh, that, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't, I don't know if it would happen because, like, unless Chicago gave up, you know, so much. Which I mean, they can. They have some collateral, but um, let me just... probably give the 20th pick, which they own, uh, next year's first round pick, a second round pick this year. Um, and probably like what Nick Foles because I think he, he's on roster, right? Um, or another player, I, I don't know. Look, I just if the Bears were somehow able to pull this off, I think the Bears would be a Super Bowl contender. I think they'd be right up there in the division with Green Bay because this defense is so elite and they've had so much trouble at the quarterback position. And I think it really puts into perspective how bad Trubisky is, right? So yeah, it, it's a dream scenario. It probably won't happen. Um, so, yeah. But also, there's two other teams that I think could trade for him, but probably won't happen. Uh, the Carolina Panthers. Um, obviously, Teddy Bridgewater is probably not the answer there. He didn't have that great of a year. He's more of like a bridge quarterback, like a Tyrod Taylor, like an Alex Smith. Um, and, the, and the LA Rams, if they were somehow able to package Jared Goff and a second round pick for him, which probably won't happen because they don't have any first round picks. Right. Um, two teams that I think could, you know, be able to upgrade a quarterback, but I just don't think, I don't picture it happening because of uh, the draft capital they have and just the position they're in. And, you know, so. Yeah. Those, those other franchises, they, they mainly have, you know, young, younger GMs, younger head coaches. They, they want a generally younger team. They want a team that can really, that they can carry with throughout their careers. And they, and they know as relatively young Matthew Stafford is being 32 and not, you know, not 36, 38, 40 and whatnot. Um, they, they definitely want someone with, with longer term and not worth as much draft capital or money in their salary cap. So, yeah. That's what I'm saying for the Rams. Like they, they've traded all their first round picks away for Jalen Ramsey, right? They need all the draft capital they can, they can get. So I mean, although, you know, it, it would be kind of cool to see Stafford uh, play for the Rams because I think he's an upgrade over Jared Goff. And, I mean, Sean McVay came out, and I believe he said there's no guarantee that Goff is the quarterback, right? So, um, you know, it's possible, just not plausible. Um, yeah, nothing yet. Okay, so uh, I don't know what time we're at here, but to uh, – or what time we started, but to wrap up the podcast here, I just wanted to take a moment to uh, reflect on the all-time great Kobe Bryant. Uh, he passed one year today, uh, one year and a day by the time the audience is hearing this. Um, I mean, what can you say about him? One of the 10 best players in the NBA history. Um, he's an inspiration to every single athlete 
out there, you know, with his Mamba mentality, get it every single day, work hard, all that's, you know. Uh, I just want to quickly say rest in peace to Kobe Bryant and his, jo- his daughter, Gigi, and all the, uh, the others who were lost in that tragic helicopter accident uh, one year ago. Yeah, it, it's crazy to believe that this was already a year, you know, in, in my opinion, it still feels like it was yesterday that, you know, he passed away. He was such a, he had such a phenomenal impact, not only in the sport of basketball, but just in the way humanity went on with their life. Like every person has one with their lives. I mean, the way he betrayed himself, the way he dedicated himself to being the best player and person he can be to pass on everything he learned and mastered to others to pass on the way people need to, or people should, you know, think life the way they should attack life, be aggressive about it. If there's something they want and they know it takes time, put that time in, put that effort in, be the hardest working person in the room, be the person that gets there early, be the person that doesn't leave till late. You know, he, he really set the standard on what it takes to be, a person to chase your dreams, to follow your passions. And Ryan, you know, we're, we're both doing our best to be, you know, some of the best in, in sports media. And we're still learning little by little. We're fairly young. But I, I think that's one of the things that's been passed on to us just from watching, you know, Kobe Bryant throughout his career is that if we do want to, you know, pursue our dreams into being involved in sports media, you know, we, we got to go after them. And that's kind of one of the reasons why we started the, the Stampede. That's why we even had it back when we were doing radio stuff in high school is one of the reasons why I went on to go to you know college and try and study, you know, communication courses to try and get more involved. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate to, you know, have my sports director job with KCSB 91.9 FM simply because I love sports. And that was just the one thing I wanted to be involved with the most. And that was the thing I spent three, four days a week, just, you know, studying games, covering games, broadcasting games, studying players, studying teams. And, and you've done a lot of the same stuff, Ryan, and that's why we're at where we're here today. And that's, and uh, again, just still mind blown by the passing of Kobe Bryant, knowing that it's already been a year. Um, I don't know if you remember the, you know, how your day went when it happened, but I, you know, I thoroughly remember, you know, my, my girlfriend calling me that morning and saying, um, hey, I just saw the report that, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash and I and I did not believe her at first I I really thought that you know it was a joke that maybe like TMZ or a smaller media outlet tried to come up with just to get some you know clickbait or something like that and then over time you know within that next hour or two ABC got involved Fox got involved NBC CBS ESPN Sports Center all these headlines finally start connecting to all these media outlets and that's when it kind of finally hit me that he had passed away. And I, I, I just sat there in my chair in my apartment for just hours, you know, just staring at all these screens reporting what was happening. And I just, I just didn't have the energy to leave my room, let alone my apartment to go do stuff. You know, I, I didn't have the energy to do homework or anything like that because he really made the world stand still that day. Yeah. Um, I remember my it was, I, I think I, my, I was still asleep when it happened. Right. I slept into like 11 noon or something like that, that day. And I remember my parents coming and like waking me up as back when I still lived at home. Right. Um, 
and they were like, hey, you need to wake up and come look at this. And I was like, oh, what happened? Probably, probably nothing, right? Probably, you know, they're probably just waking me up because it's already, it's already like 11, right? I go in the living room and I'm looking at TV and I'm seeing what's going on. And I was like, man, this no, there's no way, right? Because, because Kobe seemed, he seemed immortal, right? And we, we, we watched this kid come into the league and we watched 20 years of excellence right before our eyes. And we watched him. It was like, it was like losing a family member because we saw Kobe grow up right in front of our eyes from our eyes being an 18 year old kid to being a, you know, a 38 year old veteran, right. And finally retiring. And then, you know, we see him after life after basketball winning um, an Emmy or an Oscar. What He was an Oscar. I know I get those awards mixed up too, but the fact that he, the fact that he was doing so much after retiring, entering his forties, it seemed like he had so much more to accomplish for himself. You know, he's even after having the, you know, arguably one of the best careers in basketball history, he still looked like a young person who was striving to achieve some greatness. He was still looking for ways to achieve greatness. And I think that's one of the reasons why his passing was such a surprise because, you know, we really thought basketball at this point was just the tip of the iceberg in regards to his life. And the fact that he had, you know, his daughters, you know, even now they're still really young and, you know, it's really sad to see, you know, all them kids trying, you know, grow up, you know, try and spend the rest of their childhood without having their father with them. And, you know, must be hard on his wife as well to be raising all these kids now on her own. And, and granted, they do have a really great support system. You know, the Pal Casal, he's been really involved with them as well. And a lot of other friends and family within the city of Los Angeles and all over the world, they're definitely involved with them. But it's still, there's, you know, they're always going to feel empty to some extent inside because there's there's no way anyone can replace Kobe Bryant. And even as us, you know, as fans and as people who just watched him play basketball and, you know, people all over the world, we feel empty to some extent inside because a man like him is not alive anymore. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Pau being involved. I, a lot of other athletes and you know, ba- members of the NBA basketball community involved as well, you know, Shaq, obviously, um, being his first, you know, teammate that he, you know, they won championships together and whatnot. And uh, I know LeBron is really close with their family, Dwayne Wade as well. And uh, it's just, it's, it's tough, man. You know, it's, it sucks. And um, it, the, the crazy thing to me is we saw 20 years of excellence and then I really think that we actually missed out on after seeing him go through this career, his career. I think we missed out on the best of Kobe Bryant. Really. I think the life that he had outside of basketball after basketball, after retirement, you know, coaching his uh, daughter's, you know, team and winning an Oscar or Emmy, whichever it was, all this stuff he was doing outside of basketball I think we missed the best of years of Kobe Bryant. I think he was only getting better with age. Um, you know, it, it sucks. It really does. And, you know, I know that we both, I mean, heck, we're both Laker fans and, you know, we both looked up to him and, you know, I, I hate to lit in the show on a kind of sad note, but I did just want to kind of sit here and reflect on uh, Kobe. So. Yep. 
rest, rest in peace to one of the greatest of all time, not only as a basketball player, but as a human being. And uh, yeah, I, I really am excited to see how other people have been impacted by him and how their success um, was generated via the Mamba mentality. Yeah, I, I just want to point out uh, LeBron dropped 46, man. A day, a day before against Cleveland, against Cle, against his former team. A day, year eighteen. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Kobe was with LeBron that that day, right? Had to be. Uh, well, I think um, after that, we're gonna call it here uh, on the Stampede Podcast. Uh, once again, thank you guys all so much for tuning in. Uh, please do whatever you can to support the show. We'd all really appreciate it here at the Stampede. Um, unless you got anything else to add, Ashton, I'm going to call it. Uh, no, that's about it. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl two weeks from now. Um, very interested to see how the Madden Pro Bowl is going to work out. I think it's this weekend as well. And uh, yeah, um, for the, all those that are listening, um, please keep subscribing, following, liking, all those things that help make us kind of get ourselves more out there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Stampede Podcast. My name is Ryan Jones, along with my good friend Ashton Yonez. We're going to call it here, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to see you next time.